My dear friends, good morning. How is everybody doing this morning? Everybody have their fill of food and football and family and all that good stuff? Yeah? Good. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know that I am very, very blessed and had a lot to be grateful for this Thanksgiving, especially the folks that are in this place and the glory of God Almighty. I welcome you this morning to our C2 service here at Community Church, where by the grace of God, all of us are welcome here, all of us are affirmed here, and all of us are loved here. And that is truly a blessing. We are going to be speaking this morning a little bit about love and about discipleship. And that's going to be our theme running through the morning, and specifically how we honor Jesus and how we honor God by loving and taking care of each other. And those are things that are most important, and we're going to hear a little bit about that today uh, within our scripture. Uh, Pastor Craig is actually doing this sermon here this morning, and this was scripture he picked. And it's uh, one of my favorite scriptures. So uh, I want us all to be thinking this morning as we're worshiping here together uh, about how we can be the best disciples that we can be and how we can best honor God through loving and taking care of each other as his disciples. So let's start off this morning by getting a little bit of that uh, turkey and stuff out. Are all those who are able, please rise, and we'll get our blood flowing a little bit, and we will start our service off because of God's love. We are who we are. Because of your love, 
Would you join me this morning in a moment of prayer? Gracious and loving God, you give us so many reasons to sing. We are so, so grateful to you. We ask, Lord, as we enter this high holy season that you remind us to live like we are loved, to abide in you and to take that love and spread it. There are so many places, Lord, that need it. There are so many people during this time that want to hear and know you, please allow us to be your hands and feet here on this earth so that we may spread your word, your love, and your joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, as we continue along in our prayer, I invite you to kind of reflect during this next song about how best we can be hands and feet and committed to God. the command 
so beautiful. Amen, amen, amen. Friends, let's start our discipleship this week right here, right now. Let's start with each other. Let's take a moment here this morning to pass the peace, the joy, and the love of Christ with the very folks that we spend every Sunday with here in this room. May the peace of Christ be with you. Um, all of the programs, the things that we have coming up in the next few weeks, obviously it's a very, very, very busy season coming up. But uh, I ask you to take a minute now to take a look at all the things that are coming up in the next few weeks and also to take this with you, uh, to bring it home, to keep it around as a reference. Uh, Rachel really does put in a lot of time to make sure everything is looking nice and in here and up to date and accurate. Uh, I will lift up a few things that are coming up this week. Uh, next Sunday is Communion Sunday, so we will have our Soul Cafe here, which is our cafe run by our youth uh, here as a fundraiser after church, right after the service. It's in the commotion room, which is through those double doors. Uh, feel free to come and have a little flavored coffee, some nice treats, some home-cooked treats, um, some baked goods, and it's a wonderful fundraiser for our youth for their mission trips. You also have been doing a wonderful job on the angel tree, but we have had a couple more additions. I see most of them are taken, but it looks like there are maybe still three or four left up there if you have not gotten a chance uh, to get a tag from the tree, to get a gift for somebody who is in need this year. Uh, please go over there and grab the couple that are left. Let's, let's leave here today with nothing, nothing on the tree. Uh, we have uh, a youth uh, sleepover. Our high school will be having a lock-in here on uh, Friday, this coming Friday. Uh, also next week is the, um, let's see, what was I going to lift up? Oh, the Hymns and Hops is next week. If you want some information about Hymns and Hops, it is in here. And we will also be sprucing up the greens today right after worship. So all the greens that go up uh, around the church, they kind of need, you know, a little uh, sprucing up uh, to get them ready. And then I believe we'll be hanging those tomorrow and Tuesday if you would like to help hang them uh, those two days or if you just would like to help kind of get them ready to be put up after the church service here this morning, you can go ahead and do that. I will let you peruse through that and get the rest as we move into our scripture. Uh, we are using a scripture from the book of John today. And uh, Jesus is, is coming to the time where he knows he will not be around for very much longer in this scripture. And it has taken him three years to try to get his message to those closest to him. And it is still a little bit confusing to them at this stage. Um, so Jesus is really trying to do everything he can to bring clarity to what he wants his people to know and to do. And in this passage, which is a very famous passage, I am the vine uh, and, and my father is the vine grower, uh, Jesus is expressing his need to have his disciples love and abide in him, but not just by worshiping him and thinking of him. Jesus, I feel like in this passage, is be very, being very specific in saying, I need you to go out, and I need you to take care of each other. And that is how you show me love. That is how you show, as my Father has loved me, I need you to go out and love and take care of each other. And he uses the metaphor of the vine here, and I think it's really interesting. He does not use a tree. 
Um, and I think the difference there is a vine is a growing plant that needs support from its branches. Uh, a tree or a big oak or something like that, its branches can fall, leave, its leaves can fall, they can go away, um, and the trunk will always be there. But Jesus is using the, using the metaphor of the vine here, and I think he's really, really trying to say, look, you're supporting me, you're loving me, you're abiding in me by being my branches and going out and then supporting each other. So for our scripture this morning, uh, Todd is going to read our scripture and let us hear the word of God. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it better, more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, ask my words, abide in you. Ask for whatever you wish and it will be done unto you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just, I has, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be in you may be complete. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Before I retired eight years ago, I spent uh, 36 years in active ministry. 21 and a half of those years uh, Jan and I served uh, the same church together, the First Reformed Church in Scotia, New York. And, and in those 36 years of ministry, I presided over the Lord's Supper hundreds of times, sometimes in worship, sometimes in living rooms, sometimes in nursing homes or in hospitals. I'd pass the bread and I'd say, Jesus said, this is my body, broken for you. And I'd pass the cup and I'd say, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant that I make with you in my blood. But sometimes I'd use two of the Jesus, of Jesus's I am statements from John's gospel. I'd pass the bread and I'd say, Jesus said, I am the bread of life that strengthens you to life eternal. And then I'd pass the cup and I'd say, I'd paraphrase this morning's lesson. And I'd say, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And those last words, friends, is the gist of this morning's sermon. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, 
Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Now, you may or may not find today's sermon helpful. But whether you do or not, you can always trust Jesus' words. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. In fact, they are so trustworthy, I'm going to say them again and then ask you to repeat them after me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Say them with me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth this morning and the reflections of our hearts and minds be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, here's the context for this morning's lesson. It's Thursday evening. Jesus and his disciples are in a room together somewhere in Jerusalem in order to share a meal. Earlier that same evening, Jesus surprised his disciples by taking a servant's role as they gathered for dinner and he washed their feet. In just another hour or two, Jesus will be betrayed and arrested, and tomorrow, Friday, he will die. Jesus, of course, is fully aware of all of this, even though his disciples are not. So you know that he chose his words carefully and that they have special significance just as all the words that we speak to those close to us for the last time ought to have special significance. And it's such a lost opportunity when they don't. For more than 30 years, Dr. Sherwin Newland practiced surgery at Yale New Haven Hospital. I once heard him speak at the Chautauqua Institution in Western New York, and several of the books he wrote for lay people are on my bookshelf in one entitled, How We Die, he writes about his Aunt Rose. Shep Newland was the son of Orthodox Jews who immigrated to this country from Russia. He and his brother grew up in a small apartment in the South Bronx. His father was a tough guy and worked in the garment industry, and his mother died when he was just 11 years old. When she did, the mothering of the two boys was left to his Aunt Rose, who also lived with them. He adored her. He wrote, she did what she could to be stern with us, but her manner was transparent. She had deep blue eyes, and the twinkle in them was as sure to follow an outburst of anger as the sun, after, as the sun follows a brief summer shower. She was a sucker for a hug. As my brother and I grew older, her need to be demanding slowly let itself be recognized for what it was. She loved us. But then Newland writes, In my second year of surgical residency, when Aunt Rose was in her 70s, she was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer. She was treated by a kind and capable physician, an oncologist, who achieved an excellent remission. But her cancer finally returned, and she began to get weaker. When it did, my brother and I made a grave mistake. We convinced her doctor that she should not be told her grim prognosis. 
Although Aunt Rose must have known she was dying, we never spoke of it to her, nor did she ever bring it up. She worried about us, and we worried about her, each side certain that it would be too much for the others to bear. We knew the outlook, and so did she. But we convinced ourselves that she didn't know, though we sensed that she did. And she must have convinced herself that we didn't know, though she must have known that we did. It's a story often replayed. We knew, she knew. We knew, she knew. She knew, we knew. And none of us would talk about it. We kept the charade up until the end. And in doing so, Aunt Rose and my brother and I all deprived ourselves of the coming together that should have been. We never got to tell her what her life meant to us. And in that sense, my Aunt Rose died alone. Newland wrote about his Aunt Rose with regret for a singular opportunity that was forever missed, an opportunity that could have been a blessing for each one of them. Jesus knew better. He always does. He made the last time with his disciples before he died count. He told them important things, and he spoke carefully chosen words that were full of meaning. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, he told them. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus told his disciples, and he tells all of us of his love and of what it means to live a faithful life. We've spoken his life-giving mes life message aloud already once this morning. Say it with me again. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Now let's think about what that means. Let's ask ourselves what it means to abide in Christ. The first thing to notice is that love comes first. As the Father has loved me, so I love you, said Jesus. Abide in my love. Sure, he goes on to tell us about keeping his commandments, but only after telling us of his love. And the order, I think, is important. We don't live or act in order to win our Lord's love. We already have it, whether we believe it or not. Let me say that again in a different way because it is important. We don't live our lives to earn God's favor. We live our lives to show gratitude to God for the love that he already has for us. And you know, sometimes it is hard to believe that we are beloved, but we are. We have only to receive it, or as Jesus says, to abide in it, to believe it, to trust it, and to live into it. To abide in Christ's love is, first of all, to learn to see ourselves as Christ sees us, as a man or a woman, as a boy or a girl, worth dying for. Years ago, Bill Coffin was a senior minister of the Riverside Church in New York City. I once heard him tell the true story of a beggar in 16th century Paris who was found on the street desperately ill. 
Some people took him to a group of doctors who put him on an operating table there around the table, speaking in Latin that they were sure this beggar could never understand. The doctors said, Faciamus experimentum in anima vile. Let us experiment on this vile fellow. But the beggar was actually an impoverished student named Marc Antoine Muret, who later in life was called one of the very finest Latin stylists of the Renaissance. And so Muret replied from the table, excuse my Latin, animam villam appellas pro quan Christus non dignatus mori est, will you call vile one for whom Christ did not disdain to die? What that beggar knew about himself is something each of us needs to know about ourselves. Knowing that he was loved and valued by Christ actually saved Murray's life in a very literal way. And knowing that you and I are loved by Christ can save our lives too in ways no less remarkable. Knowing that we are loved by Christ can enable us to make that hard decision or to take that risk or to reach out to someone to mend a broken relationship or to forgive a person or to let another person forgive you or to live one more day or to take a new path in life. We abide in Christ's love by trusting in our heart of hearts that we are loved by God, and indeed we are. That's the first step in living into Christ's promise. What is his promise? Say it again with me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. But like they say on TV, wait, there's more. Jesus said, you will abide in me if you keep my commandments. So what are Christ's commandments? The answer comes from that same upper room discourse that the Gospel of John takes all of four chapters to tell us about. That same night in the upper room, after Jesus welcomed his disciples by washing their feet, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and indeed, that's what I am. Then if I, your teacher and Lord, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Then later that same night, just to make double sure that they understood what he meant, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment that you are to love one another as I have loved you. We abide in Christ's love and we learn to bear fruit by first trusting that we are loved by Christ that a lo with a love that does not let us go. And then we abide in Christ's love and bear fruit by learning to love others as Christ loved us. It's like Bill Coffin said, if Christ did not disdain to die for any of us, who are we not to live for all of us? And this calls for seeing others in a new way with eyes opened by Christ. It calls us for seeing other persons as people for whom Christ did not disdain to die. Sometimes this calling and the way we bear fruit is through very real, personal interactions with people. I remember the time after I retired that I went to the funeral of one of our former parishioners in Scotia, New York. 
John had once been a Schenectady City policeman. He died an old man, a beloved uh, saint of the congregation, friendly, gentle, funny. One of his friends gave the eulogy for him at his funeral, and in the eulogy he called this retired cop a practical Christian. What a great term that is, a practical Christian. What he meant by that is that John lived out his faith and how he treated people, even as a cop. For most of his years in Schenectady PD, he was a juvenile officer. He worked with kids in trouble. He knew the kids. He knew their home situations. Sometimes to a kid caught stealing, he'd say, listen, he says, if you're hungry, don't look for trouble. Come see me. I'll buy you a burger. I'll buy you some food. And he did. And as grown adults, some of those kids would tell John's two sons about how he had treated them and how he had been there for them. Think about that. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if at your funeral somebody said of you, he or she was truly a practical Christian? Okay, what do you need to do to respond to Jesus Christ through your personal interactions? It's a good question because this is how we live into our Lord's promise. What is his promise? Let's say it again. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. But sometimes we bear fruit through less personal, but no less important ways. Lauren Isley, one of America's great SAS, was once the provost of the University of Pennsylvania. He tells a story in his autobiography called All the Strange Hours. It's a favorite book of mine, and I've read it several times. The story he tells shows how work that is very impersonal can have nonetheless a very human impact. At Penn in the 1960s, the provost was not only the university's chief academic officer, but also served as an ex-officio member of every important committee. One day after he retired, Isley was walking with a friend in Philadelphia near the Penn campus, and the friend asked him, so what did you do when you were the provost? Have you ever heard of the spectral war, said Isley? No, said the friend. Then follow me. Isley led his friend to the corner of 34th Street and Walnut. There, he said, do you see how this block juts out in front of Bennett Hall? The cab drivers hate it. The truck drivers hate it. But I like it. And I persuaded the planning committee to redesign it this way. It was a move in the spectral war. But why, asked the friend. You said yourself nobody likes it. And this is what Isley said. When I first came here, my office was right there in Bennett Hall. I crossed this street every day. The corner used to allow trucks and cabs to make a shallow left turn without slowing down much. Students walked across it carelessly. I've seen at least five serious accidents right here and many more close calls. Once I even saw a woman cut down by a truck coming too fast around the curve. When I became the provost and a member of all the committees, I made a point of going to all the meetings where changes in this street were being debated. I went and gave eyewitness testimony that convinced them to build it so that drivers had to slow down. They had to stop and make a square corner. 
It's all forgotten now, of course. The extended corner is just there, and drivers have to slow down. But I like to think that every year there are people who were not hurt and that there are people who are alive because what I did about that corner, that's what I call the spectral war. It's unseen, but it's everywhere. Some of you are called to fight that same spectral war, maybe through your work, or maybe through the mission programs of our church, maybe through conversations you have with others, or maybe through how you vote. That could be a concrete response to Christ's love for you. That could be a way for you to live into our Lord's promise. Let's say it one more time. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. So here's a question. What happens when we learn to see ourselves as beloved people and when we learn to see others as beloved people as well? What happens when we learn to interact with them in ways that bear fruit, both personally and from afar? I'll tell you, we learn to see the world with new eyes. Rachel Remen is a retired physician who specially used to be helping people with cancer live their lives to the fullest, even if those lives would necessarily be short. But one of her patients wasn't a person with cancer, but a doctor. In fact, an oncologist who treated people with cancer. Josh sought out Rachel because he was depressed. I can hardly get out of bed most mornings, he told her. I hear the same complaints every day. I see the same diseases over and over and over again. I just don't care anymore. I need a new life. That last comment really struck Rachel because, in fact, he had given new life to hundreds of his own patients. Have you ever heard... Have you ever said what that oncologist said? That I need a new life? I know some of you have. Proust once said that the voyage of discovery lies not in seeking new vistas, but in having new eyes. And that's what Rachel challenged Josh to do, to learn to see the world with new eyes. She wrote about her experience in a book that my preacher father-in-law gave me called Kitchen Table Wisdom kitchen table wisdom. This is her story. She said, I gave Josh an assignment. I asked him to, to take 15 minutes every night at the end of the day and uh, ask himself three questions and write the answers down in a journal. Here's the three questions. Someone in this week's women's Bible study group told the class about, about how she had been keeping a, a, a gratitude journal for many years and how it had helped her grow. Uh, in a way, Rachel's questions are a variation on the same theme. So here's the questions. What surprised me today? What moved me today? What inspired me today? Josh was doubtful. He was a busy man and was tired at the end of the day. He wasn't inclined to sit down and write anything. Rachel told him the key wasn't to write a lot, just to make a few notes about his day from a new angle and with a new perspective. Besides, she said, it's cheaper than Prozac. So he agreed to try. She wasn't surprised when he brought up the three questions at the next session. Rachel, he says, I've done this now for a week, and my answers are always the same. What surprised me today? Nothing. 
What moved me today? Nothing. What inspired me today? Nothing. I don't like to fail at things, he said. What's the trick to this? Don't think like a clinician, she said. Try looking at people as if you were a novelist or even a poet. Look for the stories that are hidden, what they tell you. Josh was silent, shrugged his shoulders and said, all right. He didn't mention the journal again for a while, but their sessions seemed to get more productive. Then about six weeks later, he brought the journal with him and began to tell her what he thought was helping. He said, you know, I had trouble with that journal. But little by little, I began to find answers to the three questions. At first, my answers were clinical. The most surprising thing was that a tumor shrank a couple of millimeters. The most inspiring thing was that a drug showed promise. But little by little, I began to to see more deeply. I was surprised by people who had navigated their way through great pain by following a thread of love. I was inspired by people who found ways to live really well, even with diminished abilities, even facing death. Josh said, at first, I only noticed these things hours after I talked to my patients, not until I was alone in the privacy of my own house. But little by little, that time lag got shorter. I got better at it. And once I began to see things as they actually happened, a lot changed for me. He said, in the beginning, I couldn't talk about it. I could only write it down. But when I started to see my patients differently, my own attitude began to change. When we see others differently, our attitudes change. It must have shown in my voice, he said, or in some other way because my patients seemed to pick it up. I noticed that their attitudes seemed different too. And after a while, I began to talk to people more about just more than about just their cancer or about their treatment. I began talking with them about what I was learning to see. I once spoke to a young woman, he said, a mother with four, a four-year-old on a lap and a six-year-old leaning against her chair. The little girls were shiny, squeaky clean, well-fed, and obviously loved. She had suffered a great deal in her treatment and had lost a lot of strength, and I was deeply moved by her commitment to her kids. And for the first time, I connected her love of her children to her will to live. And I found myself, to my surprise, saying, you are a great mother. There's something strong in you, and I think that your strength may help you heal. She smiled. And Josh says, I was amazed because that's the first time I had seen her smile. Thank you, doctor. She said, that means a lot to me. He started talking to some of his other patients in the same way. What has helped you through your illness? Where do you find your inner strength? He found that different people answered his question in different ways. And to his surprise, he found that he was very interested in what they had to tell him. He also discovered that what they told him was often a clue for him dealing with his own difficulties. He said to Rachel, I knew cancer very well, but I didn't know much about people before. Then he reached into the pocket of his lab coat, took out a beautiful new stethoscope that with his name engraved on it, smiled and said, one of my patients gave me this. And Rachel said, what are you going to do with it, Josh? And he said, I'm going to listen to hearts, Rachel. I'm going to listen to hearts. So what might happen in your life? 
If you allow the love of Christ for you and the love of Christ for others to open your eyes to new things that you might be missing. You see, abiding in Christ and bearing much fruit isn't just a promise about bearing fruit for others. It's also about bearing fruit for ourselves. After all, what did Jesus promise? You know the answer. Say it with me. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Today is called the Reign of Christ Sunday. It's the last Sunday in the church year. Next Sunday, the first Sunday in Advent, we begin again a new church year. Our closing hymn is a hymn about the reign of Christ. Its last stanza goes like this. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease, till all your saints together will sing a hymn of peace. Then in all your dominion will live with hearts set free to love and serve each other for all eternity. And how do we live with hearts set free? We live with hearts set free by living into Christ's promise made in that upper room so long ago. Let's say that promise together one last time and then go out together to live it. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And all the people said, Amen.
I'd like to start our final prayer this morning by uh, lifting up a very dear friend and colleague, uh, Ron Cook, who takes very, very good care of all of us here at church and especially all of us here in this service. Uh, He is in the hospital. He's had some complications um, with his heart, but he is doing okay. He's getting some tests. Um, He is uh, getting some things figured out. And, and as of right now, they're keeping him in the hospital. But, but I think at, at this point, the prognosis is pretty good, and it looks like they're going to be able to get some things figured out, and he should be back with us here surely but soon. But I ask that you um, please, please keep him in your uh, thoughts and prayers. He is truly, truly, truly an angel of God and, and a very, very dear friend and colleague for all of us here at this place. Uh, and as we continue, I, I, I invite us to take a moment together. If, if there are folks that are weighing heavy on your heart that need extra prayers, I invite us to all take a minute together and, and uh, lift those folks up if you would like to lift their names out loud so that we can all uh, pray for them uh, in, in, in together. Or if you would just like to keep your prayers silent, however you care to pray is just fine. Uh, let's start our prayer this morning uh, thinking of those folks. Gracious and loving God, please hear our prayers this morning. We ask, Lord, for healing for friends of ours and family and loved ones and those that we don't even know. We ask for comfort for those that take care of these folks and surround them. And we ask for love so that we may all know what it means to live in your way. Lord, this morning I ask that you allow us to be refreshed here this morning. We ask that you renew our faith, that you refill our hearts and our souls, and that you provide us with clarity. I ask that you provide us with clarity of sight, Lord, so that we may see that people are in pain and suffering thousands of miles away but also that people are in pain and suffering right next door. We ask, Lord, for for clarity of hearing so that we may know, Lord, that you are still speaking to us. You are still directing us. On this very day, you are calling us to be the best we can be by abiding in Christ and living as the branches of Jesus. And Lord, we ask for clarity of heart. As this wonderful season rolls near, please, Lord, allow us to remember that there are folks in very, very, very much need of extra care and love. Allow us to abide in you, Lord. Allow us to lean in to be the people that you want us to be in taking care of those folks. Let us see them, let us hear them, let us love them. We pray all these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus the Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, I invite you one last time, if you are willing and able and care to, to rise as we together rejoice in the Lord always.
many things to be true with certainty, but I do know two things that I believe in with every fiber of my entire being. You are loved by God, and God wants you to spread that love. Let us leave here and let us bear much fruit. Go in peace, my friends, and may the grace and love of God be with you now and always. Amen. Amen. One, two, three.